Father, we're so grateful to be in your house on a Wednesday night and to fellowship with one another, but most of all, the fellowship with you. Lord, the fellowship with the Word that's inside of us, Lord, that is the person of Jesus Christ manifested in the Word, manifested in our lives. We're so grateful for that today. Lord, I pray that you'd move in every life. Lord, as I've looked at these things this week and you've Lord, convicted me in my life and helped me, I believe, to move some things, Lord, down further down the road. I thank you for that, Lord. I, I pray you do the same for each and every one that hears tonight. Lord, I pray that there would be, uh, if there's something in, in our lives that's not right, we would deal with it. Lord, that we would affirm those things that are right and that we would recognize what they are. We would allow you to use them, Lord. Not to make use of it ourselves or to become arrogant, but Lord, to let you use us in the way that only you can. I pray you'd grant that tonight. Maybe there'd be some sick person here, Lord, that that is sick in body tonight. Maybe they've worked all day and they're tired. I pray that your Holy Spirit would go right now and comfort them and heal them. Lord, and these that have lost loved ones and some that are not able to be here tonight, I pray you'd bless them as well. And touch every heart, every family. Lord, and move me out of the way. Speak to your people tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. I'll try to get right into this tonight. I know it's been a hot day and a long day, and I purpose to not take any more time tonight than I have to. In presenting this, I, I want to speak to you uh, about the, the breaking the family curse again about Saul. I'm not sure if we'll deal with Saul again. Uh, we may have one more service. I'm not, I'm not sure as the Lord leads, but uh, I do know that uh, it's been important for me, and so you just bear with me in my folly, if you will. Uh, if it, you haven't got anything out of it, it's been an important series for me because it's made me uh, be introspective and, and look at, at the way that I uh, lead people and the way that I deal with things. And, and, but every one of us are leaders in some way, and every one of us has generational things that pass on down through our families. We have to deal with those things. And, and I want to tell you tonight that when it comes to Saul, we're not talking about heaven or hell. Isn't that good, Brother Caleb? We're not talking about hell. So Brother Caleb texted me today said if I preached on hell, I was in trouble because they were on a roof all day in the heat. But uh, we're not talking about heaven or hell with King Saul. We're talking, about, we're talking about whether he could be used or not. Don't you want to be able to be used by God in whatever capacity that you're in? He went to heaven, by the way. He made it. But he, what, there come a point in his life where he crossed the line of usability. He was no longer able to be used, even though he was still in the position that he was in. But he couldn't be used there by God. God wouldn't speak to him anymore. And that's a hard place to be, and we don't want to ever be in that place. So let's look at it once again tonight. 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Oh my. Pray the Lord would add his blessing to the word. You may be seated. 
if you'll remember, the tribe of Benjamin dealt with insecurity. It was something that they as a tribe dealt with because of how small they were. We know that Saul dealt with insecurity in his own heart, in his own life, because of his testimony to Samuel. And we've talked about that and how that uh, he said, I'm of the smallest tribe, I, I'm of the smallest or the least family, even though his family was a wealthy family, because he dealt with that insecurity. And yet God could use that as long as he stayed little. But sometimes what happens with insecurity is insecurity causes us to uh, be overly interested or overly uh, uh, dependent on the outcome of what we do. Now think about that for a minute. When you're insecure, you're overly dependent on the outcome of what you do. In other words, if you uh, take it to a preacher, if you preach a good sermon, you'll be on up here. If you preach a bad sermon, like nobody says amen, nobody likes it, seems like it's just not there, you'll be down here. Right? And, and you all could relate to that on some level that uh, when you do something and, yeah. and people approve of it. And so insecure people crave approval. Yeah. And there's nothing, again, there's nothing sinful in that. But if you're not careful, the devil will get into it and he'll begin to do that. And what happens is then, if you do have successes, when an insecure person gets in a position of authority... And they get into a place where they feel like they can tell people what to do. And they have some power over people's lives. Actually, once they reach that place of authority, it actually becomes arrogance in that person. You wouldn't think that an insecure person would actually become an arrogant person. But the line actually isn't that far. Because he's overly concerned with, with what happens, with the results of it. And see, God don't even judge us by our results. Did you know that? He won't judge me by how many people come to the altar or how many people sit in the pews. But he judges me, even as a minister, by my faithfulness. That's how I'll be rewarded is for my faithfulness in preaching the word, not in how many. Because if Noah was rewarded in how many souls that were saved during his preaching, he wouldn't have very great reward. But Noah is known as a man of faith, not because of the thousands that come to hear him preach, not because he was the greatest preacher that ever lived, but because every day he worked on the ark. And every day he was faithful to get back up and say, there's a rain coming. Right? Right? Right. And so we're, that's what we'll be, we'll be held accountable for, if I could say it that way, for our faithfulness, not the results of it, not how much money you make, but what you do with what you have. Right. Yes. right. So if you carry that insecure gene, if I could say it that way, and maybe in your family it runs there where things have happened, and maybe you're, you, you've had problems, and, and so you tend to be insecure, and so you want to... You want to Look at your accomplishments. You want to talk about them. You want them to be out in the forefront. And I've looked at this myself and I say, Lord, help me not to be that way. Let me rest in your approval, Lord. Let me rest in who I am as a Christian, not in what I do as a minister. Are you with me this morning, this evening? Now, in the movie uh, Chariots of Fire, it's an old movie. I've never watched it. But they tell me there's a scene in that movie the great Jewish-English runner Harold Abrahams speaks of the fear that drove him as a sprinter. He said this, he said, In one hour's time I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds 
to justify my existence. But will I? Now think about it. He's a sprinter. Everything rides on that. And he trained for years to go to the Olympics. And he worked, and every week he, he worked and he trained. And, but it was all about how will I perform, right, on this stage. And when I get on that stage, I've noticed that athletes many times are judged based on their performance, right? Because that's what we see and that's what we do. We don't really look at whether, whether they're a good guy or not. We don't really look at what they do behind, behind the scenes. But you look at their performance. What have they been able to do? If we're not careful, we bring that into the church where we begin to judge one another based on our performance. Right? But I'm not judged on my performance. I'm not held accountable, again, to my performance. You're not held accountable to your performance as a Christian. Whether or not, well, I've always done right and I've always lived for God and I've always known. That's not what saves you. Yeah. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves you. Right. And then it's, it's your faithfulness to what God has given you. And your willingness to surrender to him. That's what you're judged by. Yeah. Not by the performance. But then we, if, what, if we're insecure about what we do and who we are, we become overly interested in our performance. And we're like the runner. I've got ten seconds to justify my whole existence. I've been reading a, a book called The Heart of the Preacher, Preparing Your Soul to Proclaim the Word, and it struck me because the man that wrote that said this about preachers. He said, when our primary identity gets wrapped up in our performance as preachers, we start to think like the runner. We step up to the platform, look over the congregation with 30 minutes, and I usually have a little longer than that, but 30 or 45 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half to justify our existence. Think about it. And depending on the response I get, it, it justifies whether I'm able to continue on. See, and we all need validation on some level, but that's a terribly insecure way to live. And the damage runs deeper than just our own internal sense of security. If we get that order reversed where we find our primary identity in our service rather than in our salvation. We actually become dangerous in ministry. And you can apply this into every area of your life. Instead of preaching to meet the needs of others, we preach to meet our own needs. Because we have an insatiable thirst for affirmation and validation, we become tempted to modify our message to sustain the approval of the crowd. Right? And in a sense, we become parasites living off of the very sheep that we're called to serve. Because it's only as good yeah. as the sermon was and how many amens we got and how many likes we got on Facebook. I told you I had to repent of going back and looking at how, how many people had watched the service. I, you know, it's hard on me. I, even, even which one of you all watch. I don't look at that anymore. I don't look at who all watches as far as if you're not here and whether you watch or not. Because if I do um, and you don't watch, I'll begin to wonder. <laughs> or if I, if I do and you watch Brother Allen or Brother Joel and not me, I'm like, What? And after a while, it, see, it, it, makes me, it makes me feel bad and when that happens. And I, it, it's not your fault. You may, not, you may have a very good reason to not watch me and to watch someone else. But you see what happens? See what I've done? I've actually, I've actually begun to make decisions based on my insecurity. And I'm using myself as an example tonight. But again, we could all, we could all apply it to our lives. It's like a, a runaway slave. 
And a runaway slave is always trying to justify who he is. So what he'll do is he'll go out and in the olden times when there was slavery in the south and not in the north, he'd run away and then they'd try to look like a free man. Right? Their whole existence becomes, I'm not a slave, I'm not a slave, I'm not a slave. And so we try to manufacture a false self which is mostly admirable, mildly prepossessing, superficially happy. That's why Facebook exists, doesn't it? Think about it. We're trying to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Oh, my. I'm going to get in trouble. I, I, nothing wrong with Facebook. I'm not preaching against it. But just think about it. If your motive is to see how many likes you get, if your motive for your Instagram is to see how many likes you get, then what happens is you, really it comes from a place of insecurity. And then that insecurity, when you are successful, when you do get likes, when everybody does like that picture, you become arrogant with it. And that picture was touched up anyway. We hide behind pretty faces, which we put on for the benefit of our public. In time, we may even come to forget that we are hiding, and there's where it becomes dangerous. And there's where Saul went. And after a while, we think that our assumed pretty face is what we really look like. Are you with me tonight? I know it's a little bit different, but we're going to get back into the narrative here. We assume that's who we, we are. We put that on so long. That's what Saul did. The name Saul means ask for or prayed for. He'd, he'd always wanted, he, he'd always been wanted. Even his parents wanted him. But he was always afraid of being rejected because this was in him. And so he had a desire for acceptance. And he was so insecure because his identity was found in how he performed. Look at where he failed God. Almost always after a victory. You would think that he would have failed God after a defeat and just give up. But it wasn't after a defeat. It was after a victory. And the reason why he failed God after a victory is because his insecurity become arrogance. Right? Look what I've done. Right? So he, his insecurity become arrogance and it brought him to ruin. So 1 Samuel 15, let's look back at the narrative again at the scripture and, and read the story of how he finally, the final rejection of King Saul. In verse 1 it says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people. And again, keep that in your mind. Saul was not a man that did not have God's approval. Now remember, even the denominational systems had God's approval at one time. Right? And we don't take that away from them. They had God's approval, not the denomination itself, but the move of God that started it. Right? It was a move of God. It had God's approval. The people had God's approval. And God even continued to work with them, but then they denominated and they become arrogant and they died because they wanted to protect what they had. So now Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou to the voice of the words of the Lord. So God's going to use Saul to do something. He said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. And Amalek would go, and they were especially pernicious because they would attack the weak, and they would attack the old, and they would attack the children, and they would sneak in. They were robbers. That's how they made their living. They, they just stole from other tribes. They, they were a terrible people. And so they didn't have any settled homes. They just, 
They just stayed in their camp and went out raiding another tribe and come back home. And so he hated, the people hated Amalek because of that. And God hated them because they went after the weak. And so now he said, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. He says, utterly destroy. Notice that word, utterly destroy. It means literally in the, in the original, put under the ban. Put under the ban or devote to destruction. It's the same thing that Joshua did at Jericho. Once something is devoted to destruction, it must be destroyed. God said utterly destroy, devote to destruction. Brother Branham put it this way. He said God said utterly destroy the thing. He said what we need today, he said you baby and sissy around with a whole lot of things you ought to be destroying. Help me, Lord. So, well, I'm afraid to testify of healing because when mama takes me down, the pastor will say, well, now if he goes to starting that stuff around here, we'll put him out of the church. He said, you know what God said? Destroy that thing. Get it out of your mind. Now, notice what he said. Now, we're not going out destroying cities. We better not be. We're not called to go out and destroy people who do us wrong. Right? We're called to love and forgive them. Is that right? We're not called to go out and destroy people in the community. That's not what we're called to do. But notice where Brother Branham takes it. He said, destroy the thing. Get it out of your mind. Right? Because the battle now is not out here, but the battle is up here. So the battle is in your mind. Destroy that thing. Destroy that thing. It's something that wants to destroy you, but it doesn't come at you as an adult. It doesn't come at you as an unpleasant thing. Right? It doesn't come at you fully formed. It comes at you as a, a, a very, a, a, something that's your, just your nature, something that you want to do, something that's pleasant. Isn't that what Satan did to Eve? Something pleasing to the eye. And so all of us have things that are pleasing to us. Sadly, to some people, bitterness is pleasing, but they don't see the end result of it. Right. It might feel good to hate somebody right now, but you better destroy that in your mind. Yes. Right. Utterly destroy it. Right? Utterly destroy it. Don't dwell on it. It's a sin to dwell on it. Yes. Are you hearing me tonight? T- take it out. Utterly destroy the thing, the little Amorite, the little Amalekite that wants to grow up in your mind that'll bring bitterness, that'll bring hate, that'll bring anything that's against the word. Yeah. Utterly destroy it. Some thought of doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing. Utterly destroy that thing. Get rid of it. Get it out of your mind. Get it out of your way. He said, pick up that little old Jebusite baby. Say, he's so cute. He grins so little. Uh, he said, so sweet. He's a little high vibe baby. I'll just tell you. Oh, he just looks so, so innocent, so sweet. The Bible said, destroy that fellow. Not pet him and baby him. He will raise up and be just like his daddy. Yeah, sure. Uh, don't pet your daddy's issues. Think about it. Where are we going with Saul? He, he, he coddled it. He petted it because he thought that's what got him the victory. Yeah. Right? And so he continued and, and to keep that thing. And so now he felt like he deserved it. He, he won this great victory. And that's where we make our mistakes so many times. Well, I, you know, I can, I've gotten big now. I can, I can treat people any way I want. No, you can't. Because God will see how you treat everybody. Yeah. Not just the big people. God will hold me accountable for how I treat everybody in the church. Not just the people I agree with or the people you agree with. 
Well, why does Brother Ben spend his time with so-and-so? Why does he go around so-and-so? Why does he even bother going to their house? Why, if he knew what they did, don't you see that I have a responsibility to each and every person? But you better get that Jebusite of hate out of your mind, that, Je- that Amalekite of hate out of your mind and begin to realize that, that, that there's something there that wants to take you over and destroy you. Well, it's okay to treat people differently. It's okay. No, you better get rid of it. Utterly destroy it. Amen. We're not called to be halfway. Are you with me on a Wednesday night? We're not called to be halfway Christians. We're not called to be Christians that pet all our little issues. Get rid of it. You got a problem with certain things? Well, you, can, you can just line it up and say what it is. I'm not going to do that tonight and take the time. But you can line it all up and say it's a little Amalekite. It's not in the word. It's not right. Let me get rid of it. Kill it while it's little. Because if not, it'll raise up and be just like his daddy. But the Brown said, you remember, he'll grow up to be an Amalekite. He'll pollute the camp. And when those little things come back like that, disagreeing with the word of God, get rid of that thing. It's a growing little Amalekite. Right, that little thing in your mind that pops up, well, I wonder, I wonder if maybe, maybe Brother Branham didn't know what he was talking about when he said that. Maybe the word, maybe the scripture, maybe it's it, it, not for our day. Maybe it doesn't matter how I, the way I look and the things that I do. Maybe it doesn't matter the way I treat people. Maybe it doesn't matter if I have a little bit of bitterness. Maybe it doesn't matter if I, if I wear certain clothes or do certain things. But what did the word say? Are you with me now? Now the battle is going on in your mind, but that thought is a growing Amalekite. And unless you get rid of it, you'll have to bear the consequences of it someday. The battle is in our minds. Don't let that Amalekite thought come in your mind. But the Bible said it's a growing little Amalekite. looks cute, looks innocent, looks like it's all right, but don't you have anything to do with it. You stay away from it. Now watch. If you get rid of it, it won't grow. If you don't, it will grow. Because your mind is a fertile place. Everything in it grows. Is that right? It's a, it's a, it's a bedding ground. It's, a, it's a, like a garden. And everything in your mind grows to be something bigger. <laughs> don't you want to feed on the Word of God? <laughs> don't you want to feed on good thoughts? That's why Paul says, think on these things. So Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he said, casting down imaginations, utterly destroy it. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Get rid of it. Kill it out of your mind. Now in 1 Samuel 15.7, let's skip down there for just a moment. If you've got your Bibles or you're watching or you're following on the screen, and Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that was over against Egypt. God told him to do it, and he went and did it. Yep. Right? He's okay. He's doing good. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Now, wait a minute. Huh. Right? He said, utterly destroy. But Saul reasoned. Right? And, and now his insecurity has left or he thinks that it's left, and what has replaced it is arrogance. And he's walking out and he's saying, you know what, I'm pretty good. I got all the people to follow me. I got, I got a big church. I got, I'm the king. I'm doing good. I've been preaching some good sermons lately. And Brother Branham said that 
Samuel let, God let Saul become king because he knew he would preach some good sermons. He said he knew you could preach some good sermons. They would be good sermons. The people would benefit from it. But he began to think like that. I, I preached some pretty good sermons. I'm, pre I'm a pretty good guy. Did you see me the last time I, I, I sang a special? My goodness. I'm preaching to myself tonight. But see, you can't put, base your identity on that. And I, again, I have to be more careful maybe than anybody because of the place that I stand in that I don't put my identity or base my identity on this. My identity is not how well I preach or the lack thereof. That's not my identity. And I want to do the best job that I can do for you people. I, I try so hard on Wednesday nights to keep you awake. You wouldn't believe how, how hard that I try. I do everything within my power. But that's not who I am. Right? This is not who I am. I am a Christian. Are you with me now? I'm washed in the blood. I, I'm, I'm what we talked about, the, I believe it was Sunday morning. I, I'm, I'm what we talked about Sunday morning. I'm the bride of Jesus Christ. I'm pure. I'm faultless. Amen. It's not based on whether I preach or not. Or how much I preach or how long I preach or whether people say amen or not. And the quicker I learn that, the better off I am. Don't you realize you're the same way? Maybe you, you kind of fail in some area. Maybe as a dad, you feel like a failure. As a mom, you feel like a failure. As a husband or as a wife or in whatever job and whatever capacity God has given you to work, you feel like a little bit of a failure and think, oh my, and your identity is so wrapped up in that that if you fail at work, you, get, you come home and you just, uh, you're just destroyed. You can't hardly make it through the day. But that's not who you are. You're a child of God whether you may ever make a penny or not. You were chosen before the foundation of the world whether you do good at work or not. Are you hearing me today? You're chosen whether you're skinny or fat. Put so much on body image today. I'm not just preaching that because I'm overweight, but it's true. Everybody wants to be able to look good. And but really, what we ought to look at is is you know I want to I want to be there for my wife and I'm I'm on another diet I'm I'm trying I'm trying to look because I want to be there for my wife when he, when I get older, and so because of that I want to do that but but yet at the same time there's always that body image just there yeah I would feel better about myself if I was about a hundred pounds lighter, but I might be so arrogant you couldn't handle me too. <laughs> Lord knew what he was doing. Are you with me now? God knows what he's doing. We put everything on what we, what we do, how we perform. And that's why I think some people can't come to church hardly because they're so performance-based that if the preacher don't perform and the people don't perform and the deacons don't perform and the singers don't perform, but it's not about performance. It's about who I am as a Christian. I go because I love God. Come on a Wednesday night, not because I'm looking for a performance or I'm going to perform in some way. And it's not about me even coming. The act of coming is not what it is. But I love God. And if I love God, I'm going to go to church. If I love God, I'm going to serve Him. If I love God, I'll do what I'm asked to do by the Word. If I love God, if I have a gift in my life, I'll develop that gift. I'll work. I'll do everything I can to make it the best that it could be. Why? Not because of my performance, but because of my love. That's what Saul missed. He, did, he had pretty good performances. He preached some big meetings. <laughs> he slayed a lot of enemies of Israel. When the time come, he got arrogant. 
and kept Agag alive and utterly destroyed all the people, but Agag was alive. You understand? He, he said, well, utterly destroy. He wasn't talking about the king. Surely not. You know, some people are real good at that. Not talking about me. Some of y'all doing that tonight. Well, bless God, you can read the word. You know, I know people, I know people that stay home and read their Bibles over and over, never go to church, and they'll read Hebrews where it says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, and they'll just rejoice. I know people who'll stream services, and I'll preach and preach about, about coming to the house of God, and they just sit there and just rejoice. And you think, how in the world can they do that? Well, it's because, don't apply to me. Right? Utterly destroyed doesn't mean that. <laughs> right? But it's got to apply to me. If it's the word, it's got to apply to me. But it just shows there's a problem. It's not about my performance, how many services I've been to or not. Because if we start counting, we might, some of us not be in very good shape. And some of y'all have never missed one. But that's not what, why you do it. You do it because of your love for God. You want to when you can't. Are you with me now? Now... So now he, he utterly destroyed the people with the edge of the sword, but not Agag. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings. It started with Agag, and then he saw some sheep that he liked and said, Well, you know, God surely wouldn't want to destroy that nice sheep that looks like it could provide wool. And God surely wouldn't want us to destroy those oxen that, uh, that are so beautiful and, and so nice and so fat. And, and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and ref refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So they kept the word where they reasoned that God wanted them to keep it. It'll be okay because this is beautiful to me. But they had no problem destroying other people's sins. Right? Oh, that's ugly what that brother does, man. Wait, that sister, oh, that's ugly. I'll utterly destroy that thing, man. Just give me a chance. I'll stand in the pulpit and preach it. But what about us? What about the things we think are good? I don't mean to yell at you tonight. I'm preaching to myself. It was beautiful to them. But they had no problem destroying other people's sins. And see, many times that's what happens. We coddle our own lineage, whatever it is, whatever, whatever our faults are. We coddle those and make them virtues and destroy everybody else's sins. First Samuel 15, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel 15.10, saying, It repented me, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. I love Samuel because he's a prophet who understands that it matters. Who does it matter to? It matters to Saul. Yes, yes he's saved in the end, but it matters what he acts. It well, the way he acts, it matters to the people. It matters to the people of God. It matters to the man himself. It matters to you. Yeah. And, and Samuel, understanding that it matters, he cried. I remember uh, reading a quote of George Whitfield that he stood there and he said he, he was in a, a place where they were, people were really hard. They were just hardened sinners. And he stood there and he began weeping as he preached. He said, you, you're so hard. He said, you won't weep for yourselves. He said, but George Whitfield will weep for you. Yeah. 
There's got to be something. I think of Jesus as he stood there over Jerusalem and he said, How off would I have hovered over you? How off would I have gathered you together like a hen with her, her chicks? And you would not. He said it with tears. It matters how you say it. It matters the attitude that you have. Verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. Now think, he just got done preaching one of his best sermons. But in that sermon, he left some Amalekites alive. Think about it. Sometimes what we think is our best work is what God wanted at all. We've been better off to pray. <laughs> and seek the mind of the Lord before we started doing that. Are you with me? I know there's just a few of you. I, won't, I, I promised myself, boy, i got ten minutes left. Hang with it. Hang with me. You see... He's so confident in his works that he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Notice how, how he takes confidence in that. Yeah. This insecure man who stood back there and said, I'm the least. I'm the least. And God said, I can use him because he's hiding. When, when they called out, when they had the election, he hid. But the same man now, because of his insecurity, has become, you've got to watch that. Take care of the insecurity or it'll become arrogance. Then become stubbornness. Right? And so now his insecurity has become arrogance. His arrogance has become stubbornness. And he walks out in front of the prophet of God who knows better. And he's so sure that he's interpreted the word correctly. He says, bless God, pastor. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Did you see me preach? Did you see me sing? Did you see the way I worked? Did you see, did you see how much money I gave to the church? Did you see I've performed? I've done something. Can't you see, Samuel, what I've done? I've had my best meetings. I've, I've slayed so many devils. I've killed so many Amalekites. And Samuel says, well, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen. See, your sin will always find you out. See, what had happened is Saul didn't think he was sin. He elevated his interpretation over a prophet's words. And Saul said they had brought them from the Amalekites. They. Oh, he knows how to get out of trouble, don't he? Or he thinks he does. They. I always do the same thing. Oh, you say, Brother Ben, surely not. So do you. If it goes right, you did it. If it goes wrong, they did it. Or we did it. <laughs> Isn't that right? When your kid starts acting up, what about your kid? You know, you tell, you tell your wife, what about that kid of yours? Huh? But when you go up and you find out they've gotten straight A's in school, did you see my kid? <laughs> when they act up in church, your kid was, was screaming tonight. <laughs> But when they act real good and they sit on the front like these girls up here, you think, my goodness, did you see them in church? They're doing so good. You see my kid? <laughs> every one of us, Adam and Eve, it's born in all of us. That runs in every family. That trait runs in the human family. Adam, God says to Adam, what did you do? And he said, she made me do it. He spoke to Eve and said, what did you do? A serpent made me do it. Each one of them got their own curse that they had to deal with. Ultimately, it was the serpent's fault, but it was also Eve's. 
Ultimately, it was Eve's fault, but it was also Adam's. Now look. And Saul said, they, brought them, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. The people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. It wasn't my fault, God. There's nothing else I could do. They were going to erupt and not, not make me the king. And, when, and the truth of it, that he thought it was a good idea at the time. Look, he said, they, the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Oh, and now he has a reason for it. Isn't it amazing how religious we get when we know we got caught? I did that to give to the church. Brother Ben, I've been doing this, and I know that it's not right, but my ultimate goal is someday to become rich and give to the church. <laughs> my ultimate goal is to get independent where I can finally get to a place where I'll go on the mission field and serve God. I'll preach someday. Someday I'll do it. That's my goal. Hope you're hearing me tonight. Again, I'm not trying to yell at you. I'm preaching to myself as much as I am anybody else. And, but, in, in, you know, this is a positive sermon if you think about it because I'm not, I, don't have to, I, don't have to, I don't have to justify my performance. Just follow the word. When I follow God's idea, I don't have to blame it on anybody. It's God's idea. If it goes right, it's God's. If it goes wrong, it's God's. But it, I don't believe it'll go wrong. Why? Because it's God's idea. Right. Now, well, when I get away from the word, that's when it becomes my idea. He said, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. You know, my wife and kids, they just, they just refused to come. They refused to do right. They refused to let me pay time. But I, I wanted to. I, boy, I'm, I'm saving up to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So we did it. We utterly destroyed, but not utterly. <laughs> but the Brandon says this about that. He said, when the church gets away from the word, it will believe anything. He said, it's like Eve, when Cain was born, she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. He said, now do you realize she really meant that? She thought she had a man from the Lord. You see, once she had been deceived by taking the word of Satan instead of the word of God, she then thought, oh God, that whatever she said was right. And you have people come up to you and you think, where in the world did that thing come from? Where did that doctrine you believe come from? Where did that thing come from? Well, it come out of your own head. Once you said it, because you were insecure, are you following me now? You become arrogant. And once you become arrogant, then everything you said was right. Because you're performance-based. You know, God could use me one time and throw me away and never use me again. One time, for one service. But the Brandon said he could train a man on the backside of the desert for 30 years. For one service. Never use him again. Because a man has been used by God, he assumes everything he says is right. Listen, if she said that she had a man from God, then she had a man from God. That's the way she thought. But God has set laws in his universe. A good seed can only bring forth good fruit, and the evil seed can bring forth only evil fruit. Examine, you know, it would be good for us tonight to examine ourselves. What do we believe on a, on a basic level? What are we? What do we believe? What do we stress in our lives? Right. What, what are we? I've examined myself in that way. And I look at myself and think, what am I? Am I do I speak a language of grace but not of, uh, not of the word, not of truth? Or do I speak just a language of truth and not one of grace? I, I have to speak both. I have to declare the whole counsel of God. And we examine and look at ourselves and say, what? where did that come from? Why do, ultimately, why do I believe what I believe? Is it because, is it because I say it's true? 
Or is it because God said it's true? Right? You say, well, I don't like this certain type of preaching. Are you basing that on what you say is true? Or what God says is true? Right? Well, I'm going to get away from this in a minute. See, she thought that it could only be what she said. But see, that's the way the church got. Brother Randall said any time that the church gets deceived, that's the way they get. 1 Samuel 15, 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. He said unto him, Say on. He said, I'm about to get some promotion. Man, I'm about to, the, the prophet's about to tell me what a wonderful job I did. Pat me on the back. Tell me, my, you boy, I tell you what, that sermon, I've been hearing some good things about you, about what you did down there. I think you did just right. He said, say on. I'm just itching to hear it, man. Oh, can't wait to get to church tonight. If you knew how I've been living lately, whoo, praise God. I've been killing it lately. Everything I say comes to pass. I've been speaking the word all over the place. But God wanted to use Saul's littleness. Not his arrogance. Samuel said when you were little in your own sight. Was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. You remember in Isaiah's vision, the perfect cherubim flew with wings covering their face. But when Uzziah went into the Holy of Holies, he barged in uninvited. He got arrogant. But the perfect cherubim who had never sinned covered his face. But the Brandon said, here's only one thing to be conscious of, your littleness. If you want to get somewhere with God, make yourself real little. Oh, and sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I base how I feel on how many people showed up on Wednesday night. I'm just being honest with you. Why would it matter? Are you with me now? Help me, Lord. What is it? Insecurity. Then the insecurity becomes arrogance. The arrogance becomes stubbornness. We just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and never get any results because God's left off speaking to us because he, he can't be heard through the thickness of our own brain of what we know, we think we know is right. The Brandon said, God can do without you. He can do without me. Oh, no, he couldn't do without a prophet. Brother Branham said he could. Again, what, what are we basing those ideas on? Are you hearing me? N not on the word. We just say it so we think it's true. Or we heard somebody we respect say it. So we assume it's true. But Brother Branham said he can do without you. He can do without me. No, he won't do without you. That's the key. Right? He refused to do without you. He chose you before the foundation of the world, but he could do without you. He can do without me, but we can't do without him. We've got to have him, for he is life, and he alone, not to know his book, not to know this or know that, or know the creed, but to know him as life. He said, know him as the person. There's a powerful revelation here. He said, as the person Christ in you, the word made flesh in you is the person of Christ. You say, I want to know him in a personal way. You know him by the word being made flesh in your life. Yes. Well, it's powerful. Brother Branham takes it, he, uh, he, he takes that to uh, super sign. He preached a sermon, super sign. He said, it wasn't just a baby in a manger, but it's God wrapped in flesh today. Yeah. Oh, my. Christ in you, the word made flesh in you. He said, he's got to come in you, you. God and man must come one. He said, you're conscious of your littleness. 
When you become little, God can work. But the parents said, you come say, now, Lord, I've been schooled for 40 years now. I'm an intellectual student. I can quote that Bible with my eyes closed. God can't use a bit of that. Oh, I belong to the biggest church there is in the country. I'm this sort. I'm a Pentecostal. Glory to God. I just received the Holy Ghost the other night. Hallelujah. You're going to make me do so and so. God can't use a bit of that. But whenever you get licked and realize you are licked and come on back and humble yourself, get weak. Find out you're human. Oh, it would be a revelation to some of us, wouldn't it? To find out that we're human. Yes, sir. <laughs> but that's why sometimes we lose confidence. We think, oh, oh, I made a mistake. You're human. You'll make another one. Yeah. Have you repented? Get back up. Get back with God. Whenever you get licked, realize you're licked, and come on back and humble yourself. Get weak. Find out you're human. Human weakness will never be used of God. God, by the human weakness, is why I say... He takes the space that the weakness leaves. Yes. Right? He needs the weakness, because he, not because he's going to use the weaknesses, but because he takes the space that is left by the weakness because you're not arrogant yes. and uses himself. Amen. I love that. God, by the human weaknesses, pours himself into you and uses himself. You just become an instrument, certainly. You've got to get yourself out of the way. Then it doesn't matter how insufficient I may be for the job. Are you hearing me, church? It doesn't matter how insecure I may feel. Oh, I can't do this. I got four kids. I got five kids. I'm, I'm worried I can't provide for them. It don't matter how. Just pour, let yourself go. Let God use that weakness. Let him use the space created by it so that he can pour himself into you. And he uses himself. And that's not just in the pulpit. That's at work. That's at home. That's witnessing to your family. That's every day. Some of you are getting elderly and you feel like I can't do anything for God anymore. I just don't have the strength that I once did. Let God pour himself into you. And when he pours himself into you, he don't use you. He uses himself. Are you hearing me? God wants to use that. See, he don't use it out of character. He won't suddenly make you... Make you be able to run up and down the aisles necessarily. But he uses you. I use Jacob as a limping prince. He used Isaac when he was old. He used Abraham when he was old. And changed his body. Oh, he's going to do that one of these days. To some old people, some young people. Are you with me now? He uses himself. You just become an instrument. He said, certainly you've got to get yourself out of the way. That's what Saul needed to do and what he never could do. God wanted to use the space created by Saul's ingrained weakness, but Saul wouldn't let it happen. He said, I got these things in my family, these family curses, and I, but the man, I just can't get over it. Just walk away from it. Let God use it. Huh. Don't keep doing it, but you can't, just, you can't just beat it to death. You can't mentally just think, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Let God live himself through you. 1 Samuel 15, 18, the Lord sent thee on a journey. Oh, isn't that the way when you were called by God to do whatever it is that you do in your life? You were called by God one day to be a Christian, and the Lord sent you on a journey. And said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil? Because it felt good. And didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. See how stubborn he is? And have gone the way which the Lord sent me. He said, I did right. <laughs> and have brought Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
My doctrine is right, he said, but it wasn't with the word. He said, but the people took of the spoil, the people, again, he blames them, took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. And I've told you several times, but there's a power in obedience. Just simply obeying. Just being there and being used by God. Amen. He said, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. David understood this. In Psalm 51, 15, he said, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. This is when he had done the awful thing that he did, far worse than what Saul ever did. But look at David's attitude. He said, for thou desirest not sacrifice, or I would give it. Lord, if you wanted me to, I would give you sacrifice. But that's not what you want. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. See, God looks at the heart, not the performance. First Samuel 15, 23, he said, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Iniquity literally means nothingness. And so it's constantly used for an idol. It's an idol, iniquity, nothingness. And that second part where he talks about idolatry is actually the teraphim. The teraphim was the household gods that they would carry with them. You remember when Rachel left her father, that she carried his household gods with her. Remember? And he was wondering where they were, and she had hit them. And she actually sat on them, on the camel, and she wouldn't get up. And, and the story is told there that she stole them from her father. It was the household gods. That's why Laban come after them so furiously. And God told them, don't, don't worship those. It was an awful thing to keep household gods. Because he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Huh? But how many today have household gods? Well, this is just the way we do things. The teraphim. And in stubbornness, it's just like the household gods. It's like worshiping idolatry. And the, and the idol that you worship is you. <laughs> oh, my. He said, you were... Those idols were supposed to bring good, good luck, but they were against the word. Rebellion is like idolatry. It's like divination equal to that in wickedness. And from this time on, listen, he said God would have rather you obeyed because he would not obey. From this time on, Saul only reigns as a temporal king. He's no longer, Israel is no longer a theocracy under Saul. He's got to do it by himself. I like Moses' attitude. Moses made mistakes. But Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with me. He said, I don't want to go. If I can't hear your voice anymore, what good does it do to preach? If I can't feel your presence, what good does it do to keep going and keep doing and going through the motions? I need you, Lord. I want the person to be operating and working in my life. Not just the, not just the, the, the performance. But I want the person... Branham taught us how to overcome stubbornness. He said, he taught us not to rebuke it. He said, it's like a snake. He said, you don't just keep, keep striking at the serpent. He said, don't rebuke it, ignore it, and walk away from it, believing you're a son or daughter of God. So if you've got this, these genes of stubbornness in, you, in your life, and you feel that, and you know that it's there, but Branham said, when you feel that you've got a stubborn spirit, lay the thing on the altar and believe God that the thing is dead, and you'll never have it no more, and go on and don't even pay any attention to it no more. And the thing will leave you. That's good, isn't it? 
Say, I got this stubborn spirit. I got Brother Ben, tell me how to get rid of it. Forget about it. That'd do us a lot of good on a lot of things. Verse 24, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin. Now notice Saul, is, once he, he was concerned with how this looked to the people. He realized that he could not go on as king anymore. If Samuel, uh, see the people were watching, they saw Samuel come up to Saul, and they were watching, waiting for Samuel to come and approve this great victory. And so Samuel said, I've sinned. I have transgressed the commandment and I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He said, pardon my sin. Turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. But thou hast rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom. If you look in the original, he got a hold of his collar. He grabbed him physically. He had to be identified with Samuel or he didn't have anything. What was that? His insecurity. Still me and Samuel. And, and he, didn't have a, uh, he didn't have nothing of the Lord for himself. He just, he just lived under that ministry. And watch. And Samuel said to him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. He's not a man that he should repent. And he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Because the people, there will be a political disturbance if you don't. Honor me, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel. Turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Let me still be the pastor. Let me still be the king. Let me let the people know that you're there. Huh. Samuel did it. Samuel turned again after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. He stayed in church. He remained a follower of the prophet. He kept his position. But he'd been rejected from being king. It says, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. The Lord repented that he'd made Saul king over Israel. Saul never recovered from this. He ended up attempting to take his own life. But in an ironic turn of events, it was a surviving Amalekite that actually killed him. There's a line of usability that we can cross. Saul was saved in the end, but he crossed the line where he couldn't be used by God or even hear from God. Listen, I'm closing. Musicians, go ahead and come. David had a different attitude. You see, Saul had become so stubborn. He was so insecure that he'd become arrogant and he put everything in what he did. And, and, and being, in that, being that arrogant, he becomes stubborn. He believed, if I did it once, I can do it again. Everything I say must be right. He becomes stubborn and become arrogant. And, and then when he did that, he finally got to the place where he said, I'm right, but Lord, honor me anyway. And God just left him alone. He was a son of God, but God just left him alone. He said, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. Oh, God help us today. David had a different attitude again in Psalm 51, 9. He said, hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Would that be your prayer tonight? Oh, it don't matter. We need to pray this sometimes. Not just when we've done something horribly and awfully wrong. But just when we feel that we've gotten so arrogant. We've gotten to the place where we feel like I can do it. Whatever I say must be right. And everybody else must be wrong. Don't you see how that causes problems in a church? 
Don't you see how that causes problems in a marriage? Don't you see how that causes problems wherever that you live, whatever you're doing? Because everything you say must be right. Oh, God. But David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Take, he said, uphold me with thy free spirit. I want the freedom to worship you again. He said, I'm not content with just living under shame the rest of my life. I want the freedom. Give me my freedom back. Give me my joy back. Uphold me with thy free spirit. He said, then will I teach transgressors thy way. I'll show others not to go that way. He said, I I'll teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Lord, he said, make me useful again. Make me useful again. Listen, you can cross the line of usability by not doing anything bad like David did, but just by being arrogant and stubborn, you can cross that line. But let us be like David and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. No matter what has happened in my life, I still want you to use me. Create in me a clean heart. Restore the joy because you can't use me unless there's joy in my heart. You can't use me unless there's, there's peace in my life. You can't use me if I hang on to my stubbornness. Use me, Lord. Create in me a clean, usable heart. It's not full of bitterness. It's full. It's the land filled with grown-up Amalekites. But one that's been taken. It's been taken care of. I've walked away from my stubbornness. I've walked away from my iniquity, and I've let it go. Not everything I say is right. Many things that I say is wrong. I can be humble about that and I'm not really being humble because it's so true because I'm human. You understand that? Everything we say is not right, but everything he says is. So if he says utterly destroy, let me utterly destroy every Amalekite in my thoughts while it's little so it don't become big and rule over me and end up being the thing that kills me. Heavenly Father, let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you've worked in my life this week. And, and I, sometimes I come and I, I want so badly on a Wednesday night to preach a positive message. And I, and I even attempt, Lord, to do that. And yet, I know this is positive because it helps us as Christians. Saul wasn't a sinner. He wasn't a man who was out of the economy of God. He was a Christian king. If we could say it that way, he was a, a God, godly king. He was a man who was used by God mightily. But yet he, he crossed the line of usability because of arrogance. Oh God, help us to never be that way. If we have insecurity, help us to deal with it. Help us to not place our achievements as the crowning moments of our life. Help us not to look at how we did, how we preached, how we sang, how we looked, how we did our work. Help us not to look at that as something great, but Lord, to look at you and say, Lord, use me today. Use me at the bank. Use me at the factory. Use me at the restaurant. Use me where I work. Use me at home. Use me for my children. Lord, come. I've, I've got so many weaknesses, Lord, but I won't use my weaknesses as excuses. But Lord, step into the space that my weakness creates and use me, Lord. Use me to save my children. Use me to save my family. Use me to help the people that are, are around me. Use me to be a benefit to my community. Use me, Lord. Use me. Lord, when there's nothing, when I'm so weak that there's nothing there that you can use, use yourself, Lord, in me. Grant it, Father, we pray. May it be the desire of our heart. 
May there be just a reality of it, Lord. Oh, God. I think about it, and sometimes I, I base so much, Lord, on whether people like me. I want people to like me. But, Lord, that can't be the end result. But, Lord, like that, like that violinist that was standing and all the people were applauding. Oh, God, may I not look to the audience, Lord. May I not look even to the approval of my family. But Lord, may I look up in the corner where the master sits. Lord, and may I look at him and just get that nod of approval. May I look to you, Lord. Oh, God, in everything. May we all do that, Lord. Help us to be used in such a way that we can know, Lord, that you have approved of us. Even if it's a small way, even if it's a minor thing, even if it's just saying a kind word or, or, or having a smile on our face, oh God, may it be so real, Lord, that you would use it to bring salvation to the people around us. I pray you'd grant it now. I pray you'd move, Lord, in a mighty way. Lord, may this message go deep into our hearts, not because I said it, Lord, but because of your word, Lord, whatever is true in it, Lord, may it go so deep. Lord, that we, we would root out every Amalekite, every, every stubborn spirit, every insecure feeling, and give it all up to you, Lord, and let you come and speak through us. Lord, use us as you would want to. Take away the anxiety, the performance anxiety, Lord, where we think, well, if I don't perform well, God won't be pleased. Oh, take that away from us, Lord. And may we realize you don't love us because of how we perform, because you loved us when we were sinners. You loved us when we were so little that we couldn't even fend for ourselves. You loved us before we were ever born. We were in your mind, and we thank you for that, Lord. Take away the anxiety, the performance, Lord, and may we be willing to do whatever you ask us to do. Preach wherever you want us to preach. Go wherever you want us to go. Stand wherever you want us to, whatever you want us to stand on. Help us to stand on it, Lord. Leave your word, all of it, and utterly destroy everything else in our mind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. When we just give him a minute and just let it soak in now into our hearts. Take not Holy Spirit from me. Again, the altar is always open. If you want to pray, I'd be glad to pray with you. Oh, restore unto me, oh God, oh, the joy of my salvation. I don't want joy for the sake of joy, Lord, but so I can be used again. Oh, and the right spirit within me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Sing it again. Let's stand together. Oh, create in me a clean heart. Thank you, Lord. Oh, just worship in the minute, church. Let it be your prayer. Amen. As with Alan comes. Thank you, Lord. Oh, and renew a right
Oh, no. 